What's going on, Orlando City fans? This is the OC Lions Blog Podcast, and today I have a very exciting episode for you guys. We are going to be going over all of the stuff I've missed ever since the uh, signing of Oscar Pereja. So it's been about a week and a couple of days now. Oscar Pereja is obviously our new manager, um, and has happened. We have signed a couple of players. We have had a ton of transfer win- transfer window transfer rumors and uh, a couple of bits of news here and there along the way. Uh, here to help me discuss everything is Daniel Young. Um, so how you doing, Daniel? I'm doing all right, Gavin. How about yourself? I am doing fine. I just drove all the way across I-4 from Tampa to Melbourne, and I am tired, but I'm very <laughs> excited to talk about all this stuff that we've been talking about, uh, that everybody else has gotten the chance to talk about. Um, it's been busy, you know. We've had we've had a ton of um, signings. We've had three signings. We've had a couple of rumors. But before we do that, I want you to really introduce yourself. Let the followers know who you are. Yeah, thanks a lot, Gavin. I I, I do appreciate the uh, the opportunity here. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm I can tell by the accent I'm from England initially, but I've been a resident in Central Florida now for 15 years. Um, I've got season tickets in Orlando, and I do go uh, to most games. I you know, enjoy watching. I love to talk about soccer. I I revel on the tactical side of it. Um, it all intrigues me, and um, I'm glad to be able to to help you and, and give some input, and you know, hopefully, uh, answer a few questions, and uh, you know, offer maybe an alternate perspective. It's uh, it's very good. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I, I I've watched Arsenal over in England uh, for about. 10, 11 years now. Um, they're my favorite team, and definitely I, ha- I also have a tactical viewpoint, and that's tr- that's good. That's what I've been trying to bring to the viewer, to the listeners, not well, the viewers, I, the listeners. So you know, I, I appreciate um, that. Yeah, I, I I I watched Arsenal actually um, a long, long time ago. Um, they're, they're Invincibles team. I got to see them live, which was good and bad. Uh, they're the best team I've ever seen. <laughs> Like play live, just generally. I've seen a lot of good teams. Arsenal was the best team I've ever seen. Unfortunately, they beat my team Leeds that day, four-one. I think they beat us by four goals three times that year. Um, so that wasn't fun, but it was uh, it was interesting. I mean, the way that Arsenal played is, I think you aspire even as a team now to kind of play like teams like they did. And you know, it was it was educational, although albeit I was on the wrong end of it. So it's good. Yeah. All right. Well. Um... We can get off Arsenal topic and get on to the Orlando City topic, somebody we are both a fan of. Um, and let's start with the signings. We've had three new signings and, um, you know, not the biggest names, uh, not the, the name that everybody's probably waiting for, probably most excited for. But the first one, Andres Perea, a 19-year-old Colombian out of, oh gosh, was it Atletico Nacional? Um and he joins us on a loan with an option to buy. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on the structure of the deal and just the deal in general to get the 19-year-old in? Well, Perea definitely interests me. Um, the very first thing that stuck out to me is that 
he has a physical presence, which in midfield I think we really missed last season. It's good to have ball players in the midfield, but Perea is going to hopefully have some physical presence. And I think if you pair him with Mendes, you can already have a more of a, a structure and a discipline in the central midfield than we had last season. Um, I know we had hard workers like Johnson and such, but I believe these guys are more like role players, and I think they'll fit a specific uh, style that the coach is looking to play. Um, and as for the deal, I think it's a great deal because it's low risk, but potential high reward. It's a loan deal with a view to a permanent purchase, and if it doesn't work, everybody can say goodbye. We're not stuck in a in a big contract uh, like we've been with other players. But we get to keep him if we want to, and I, I think on the face of it, the deal is good. I mean, he is a young kid, and he's going to be learning the game as he goes, but with Orlando in the position they're in, I think they can afford the time. It's, it's not like he's picking up at sort of LAFC or Atlanta where he's going to be required to hit the ground running. I think he can find his feet with the players we have and develop into the style that um, Oscar Pereira is hopefully looking to implement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we kind of did a similar deal, actually, with uh, Carlos Asquez. We did do it two years instead of one, and we did have that option to buy, but we turned it down. So that was a little bit more risky because we did have him on the books for two years. Um, but I, I have to agree, I'm very excited with the one-year loan deal because, like you said, if, if he doesn't work, if he just comes in and MLS is too much for him or he just is not at that quality that we need, he can go. You know, goodbye. Uh, we don't need you. Um, so I'm excited about that. And... And I'm also excited about Oscar Pereja getting his hands on him. Uh, we we have all heard we have all heard about Oscar Pereja and his 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 mas- mastermind uh, with the youth. Yeah. He's a master with the youth. Um, so I'm very excited to see uh, Andres Pereja with him. Do you see him getting more minutes than uh, most people believe? Obviously, we don't know. Uh, how the central midfield is going to shake up right now. We have Yuri, we have Mendez, and we have Andres Pereja. Um, do you think he's going to get a ton of minutes? Do you think they're looking to do that? Or do you think they're looking to bring in one more person and then he might be that that almost Dylan Powers option this season? Well, I hope he's not the Dylan Powers option. Um, I've always advocated as a just as a supporter and as someone who studies the game for having a, a smaller squad, if you know what I'm saying. Like I know the MLS roster rules allow you to have up to 30 players. Um, Orlando, you know, last season carried, you know, carried mid 10 or 11 central midfielders and four goalkeepers. And the concern I have with having, you know, the Dylan Powers type options, first of all, is that when you're in practice, I don't know how you can focus on so many players at once. I feel that if you're trying to do that, you're neglecting maybe some of the other tactical things you need to address. And Orlando, as a team last season, lacked a plan, in my opinion. There were some games they just played really well. Um, I actually think our best performance of the season, aside from the Montreal game away, was probably the Atlanta game at home, where we lost 1-0, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, That was just a good performance, but we didn't do that enough, and we didn't have a plan. And, and I feel with the likes of Perret, you got to play them regularly. It's, it's not fair to, to do a Dylan Powers and leave them out for five, six, seven games and then just bring them in for a random start somewhere and expect them to perform. I believe um, when Mutsi referenced with the firing of James O'Connor, he made some kind of references to the, the usage of the resources we had. 
I feel there's certain players who are underused. I don't believe that's going to be the case with Perea. I believe he'll get his chance. He's going to be competing with somebody because we're very light in midfield. And I do think that whether we play 3-5-2 or 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1, it's going to be a minimum of three central midfielders by virtue of, of having a squad. You're going to need at least six players, so we're going to be signing somebody else, I'm pretty sure. But it's not a bad thing. Perea can compete, he can learn, he can push himself, and I believe he'll get the minutes. I, I believe that Perea will switch his system around and probably look at the opposition we're playing and, and he'll he'll select his players accordingly. I would I would say that Yuri Russell is probably more under threat for minutes than Perea just because I think Perea's a different type of player. He, he's a bit tougher and, and Russell if you're looking at him as the number six, then you're missing probably a, a defensive type of player that would fill that role. So I think Pereira's got minutes to look forward to. I, I would, I would, I would put a bet that he'll he'll play maybe sixty to seventy percent of our games next season. All right, yeah, I, I do think a lot of people think uh, Yuri is going to be our locked-on starter, but you bring up a good point when you think about it. Yuri likes to hold. You know, Yuri likes to hold and he likes to spray balls, but he's not the most defensive-minded player. I think if you get two runners in there, like Perea um, mm-hmm. and Mendez, who everybody has locked in to start, uh, I think that might suit uh, what Oscar Perea is looking for. And so don't be surprised. I think you're, you're spot on. Don't be surprised if Perea is getting 60 to 70% of game time. Now, um, to move on to somebody who... Now, I wouldn't be surprised to not see some game time. Uh, homegrown David Loveria, uh signed him, I believe, um, straight from, was he from OCB? Um, he's, he's the first, um, yeah, he came up from the OCB squad. I didn't see as much of Lorea as I wanted to last season. I, the games kind of flew under the radar, but from what I've picked up of him, he does look like the type of player that, we should try and let him off the leash a bit. We've, we've, I think we've slowed down the development of players like Coleman and Mueller. And then you look at someone like Richie Larea, who went from being on the fringes of the team to becoming a, a key component of a Toronto team that nearly went the full distance. We've got to start playing our young kids. And the thing I like with Loera, Loera, I'm sorry, um, it's a mouthful. <laughs> so many pronunciations. <laughs> it's only three syllables, but I'm, I'm making it sound like... Uh, a foreign language, but um, yeah, he, he just looks like he's, he's quite fearless, and I believe that, like you mentioned with Oscar Pereira, he does put faith in the younger players. I don't think James O'Connor would give this lad any minutes, you know, give him very few. Mm-hmm. I think Pereira's going to give him those minutes, and I think I think he'll he'll probably play a little more than we expect. Uh, one comment that. I did laugh at actually. I, I remembered discussing uh, Cam Lindley with somebody last season, and they said how he was too small to be in the midfield, that he would never mm. win the ball. Well, I think Loera is only five foot four, and uh, yeah. again, that's not a factor to me. I mean, you don't, you know, you're not playing head tennis when you're in the midfield. You, you, you play with the ball on the deck, and that's what I hope he'll be doing. He'll be playing with the ball on the deck and making things happen. And I think he could be a bit of an unknown quantity, but he could be. You know, a surprise one as well. Yeah, you bring yeah. up a good point. He he is five five. Um, I think he's five five, and and he is going to be small. And I don't. I, I do, first of all, I don't know what the team was thinking of getting rid of Cam Lindley, but that's for another yeah. discussion for another day. But with 
him being 5-5, the only difference there with in terms of the conversation you had is that I think Lurie is more of an attacking piece and right. uh, Cam Lindley's more defensive midfield. And again, I don't really have a problem with a small defensive midfielder. Um, no. You know, like... I think everybody wants their defensive midfielder to be Fabinho, this this mm-hmm. tall, big, massive player who can just smash into their opponent and win the ball cleanly. I mean, that's stuff from from when we were talking earlier, the Invincibles era with Patrick Vieira. Like, we need we need nowadays with the game, it's very it's very fast. It's very fast. It's it's less physical. Um, some games can get physical, obviously, but I think it's fast, and we need runners in there. And you know. Maybe Cam Lindley wasn't that big of a runner, um, but attacking in the defensive midfield, sorry, in the, attack, in the defensive midfield, we do need runners, but in the attacking midfield, we also need runners. And uh, Larea likes to run from from the looks of it. He likes to run at his opponent. He likes to work hard to win the ball back, and uh, he ain't going to stop running for us. And and that's a quality that um, the person ahead of him, Pereira, Maurizio Pereira um, has, and hopefully he can show that for us. He is, I think he's going to get bench minutes this season. I think he's a very promising player. Um, He will get bench minutes. He will come in for Pereira um, on 75 minute mark. If we're, uh, if we're maybe not, if we're down, but maybe if we're lose or I don't know, I think he'll come in for, as an impact sub, you know, come in, work really hard and um, try and will the team to get a goal. Well, yeah, you want them to get minutes even when you're winning. I mean, you you need them to learn in, in all types of environments. I think you're right. It'll be the understudy to Pereira, which is fine. And, you know, I, I don't believe that Pereira is going to be the same way James O'Connor was, where every single player had to have this 110% hustle, as it's like to be called. I'm not saying your players shouldn't work hard, but you've got to let one or two of them off the leash. And... Lareira is probably one of those that you would say, okay, look, we're going to get the ball. You get yourself in a position to receive it and make something happen. And I think Nani was probably the only player that got that license last season, and everybody else was required to, you know, to kind of do the hard work. Um, we we need to be a little more adventurous, especially playing at home. And I, I believe again, you know, I watched the Dallas team a few years back when uh, Pereira was uh, not Pereira, um Pereira, Oscar Pereira was was in charge, and you know they were a good side, just well structured and well organised. They had, they had a game plan, but they also allowed their best players to to flourish and to play with the freedom that I feel we did not do last season. So I think again, it's it's he's going to be that type of guy that will get the minutes as a sub, but he'll be allowed to kind of do his own thing. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to see him uh, get those minutes. I'm very excited to see him. Uh... For the first time, you know, I haven't really watched OCB all that much. I should probably do more, more watching of OCB. Um, and, and they were just so horrible last year; it was hard to watch. But uh, Lorea has definitely been a bright spot for them uh, over the years. Um, and another bright spot for OCB uh, a while back, um, Jordan Bender. He is our other homegrown signing. Announced the other day, uh, I believe he plays on the right side of the midfield. Um, and a lot of hype around this kid as well. Um, a lot of people think he's going to be really good for us. Uh, do you have any information on him that uh, maybe you've picked up from watching? The thing I like with Bender is he is he's kind of diminutive and pretty creative. He's another progressive type of midfield player. Again, he's, he's you know we're looking at a four-two-three-one formation or a 
you know, a four-three-three is is definitely going to be in that final third. He's not going to be contributing that much, I, I believe, on the defensive side. But he's got plenty of people around him he can learn from. He have Nani's and your Pereira and such, and I believe he'll benefit from just being on the on the training ground with those guys. I don't think we're going to see a massive amount of him. And that's only because you've still got Chris Mueller, who you believe is is going to be a, a competitor for that right-hand side. And then you've got Benji Michel, who, in my opinion, should play the right side of the front three. So that would be my pick anyway. But he's going to benefit by being around these players. And, and it's just a good sign for the academy to, to have a player going through into the first-team squad. Even if he doesn't get many minutes this first year, it's still a pathway that's established and you would think it will give a little more inspiration for people to follow him. So having him in and around the squad at the expense of, you know, sort of Dylan Powers or, you know, maybe Will Johnson and Shane O'Neill and players like that that always took up spots on the bench or in the squad but could never really effectuate a game that much. I mean, you should give the, the places to these guys and give them experience just on the match day give them minutes here and there and, and I think it's the best way to, to sort of grow that culture if you know what I mean um, I don't believe it's signing that's going to make a massive impact immediately but you know hopefully improved wrong yeah um, and I, I like that point you brought up about the uh, pathway to the first team on um, that daily update ser- series I've been doing um, writing for the blog every night uh, I, I when he was signed I definitely wrote down he has shown other kids how to get to the first team of an MLS team put your head down work hard um obviously you need to be talented um but but you know you can get there there is a pathway to get there and I and I said look maybe we get the next Alfonso Davies coming out of our um youth academy and instead of looking elsewhere to get that first team um Mm -hmm. action he sees players like Loretta like Jordan Bender getting to the first team and he says, all right, there's a pathway for me here. I'm going to work, work hard, bust my ass and I'm going to get there. And you know, that, that's, that's something I think FC Dallas excels at. You see players like Reggie Cannon mm-hmm. and Paxton Pommy call now both being linked to Europe. Um, and they're going to go for big money once they do go, uh, cause they are just that promising. Um, and that's something that I think really, uh, we should aspire to do. And it looks like we are, we are doing, um, it's something that is going to be positive for this team going forward. But um, yeah, I do I mean, have question. Oh, sorry, go. No, it's okay. Um, you, you know, we we talk about changing the culture and, and that type of stuff, but I think the only way you really change the culture is with with action, with affirmative action. And this is a the statement we've seen with the past, you know, seven to ten days in Orlando with the players that have left and the ones that are coming in, and even with the the players will be linked with which you know you'll you'll move on to soon they fit a certain mold and it's a good promising you know type of player we're looking at now as opposed to just players who can who can fill a, a space in the squad but seem to be looking at players that you know can can maybe have the impetus to prove something and I, I believe that's that's the culture you want to create you know it's it's not as gimmicky or as uh, put on as, as what we've seen in the past. It's now affirmative and yeah, we're going to have a good, young, vibrant team and that's what you want. It will get better. Yeah, now, now my worry 
here. There, there's always a, a but, right? There's always a, a worry. And always. my worry here is experience. You know, um, something, and I'm going to link it back to Arsenal, that we're struggling with is experience. Yep. We got rid of all of our older experienced players, and we went through a tough patch, and we could, we could, we just couldn't claw our way out of it until we played a horrible West Ham team this last week. What happens if we go through a rough patch and we have these young players? Obviously, we're good going to sign more players obviously we still have a pretty old spine to the team but we are getting younger as, as the signings come through uh 19 years old 20 years old uh 22 years old i think are the three signings yeah. um you know so it's getting younger which is very good to see from fans fans love to see that but experience wise do you think we have a problem uh, no gavin i don't believe experience is a massive problem for us. We do have some experienced bodies still in the squad, you know. And we, even with the experienced squad we had last season, we we only won eleven games, and we had those nasty runs where we could not win. So I feel that with the position Orlando's in, you know, towards the bottom of the table, and they're looking to build upwards, even if these guys come in and win fourteen or fifteen games next season, it's going to be progress on the previous season. And I believe that might even be enough just to scrape into the into the playoffs at the very end. So I'm not too concerned. I believe that you've got to expose the players to the first team and you're going to get mistakes and you're going to get losses. But ultimately, we're not running into a situation where you're like an LAFC or Atlanta where you need to meet this high bar immediately. It's, it's going to be a progressive thing for Orlando and I'm not too concerned at the front office is going to sign a couple of experienced players, I'm sure about it. But I think the onus is going to be on getting these guys some minutes. Yeah, that's a good point. You, you do have to caveat that we've only made our first three signings here. It's not like we have our full squad. So we, we do need to caveat that. Um, and it is exciting. It is exciting. Um, it is an exciting road ahead. But looking ahead, there's some big transfer rumors here. Um, and we're going to start off with the biggest one, the one we are all most excited about, the the one that I can see going through the most out of the three that I have written down here. Mm-hmm. Herman Cano, striker, second highest um, Argentinian goal scorer in the entire world, obviously behind Messi, fourth most goals in the calendar year 2019 out of the whole entire world. How excited would you just be to see this this sort of player in Orlando? To get... To get him would be a, a massive coup for Orlando. Um, first off, I've heard a few sort of remarks that he's 31, but honestly, when you're 31 years old and you have the, you know, you have it in your head like how to be in the right position to score and how to make those runs, age is less of a factor. Um, it comes down to our point again: is he going to be playing a, a typical James O'Connor type role in the team, where he's going to be required to track back and defend? Uh, play on the wing every now and then. I don't believe so. I think he'll he's going to be there to score goals and he's going to be given the freedom to do that. And from what I've seen of him and what I've read, really versatile. Um, he can play on the flanks and he can play through the middle. It does appear most of his goals have come when he's played through the middle. But you know, if you're looking to switch tactics on the fly and you want to go to a three and you maybe want to move Akindeli in the middle and Kerno on. The, you've got those options. Who's in form? Kind of just in his prime. He can use both feet. He can score with his head, and he looks like he could play just right off the shoulder and be an absolute pain in the ass to everybody 
that he plays against, and that's the type of striker uh, we need, someone who can make those runs. I don't believe uh, Dwyer did that enough last season, and that's another discussion for another show, I'm pretty sure, because there's so many opinions on it. But Benji Michel showed that, you know, if we get the ball in the right areas, we've got players who can get in behind the defence. Well, if you've got Michel, uh, Cano, and then you've got Nani sort of creating some of those uh, players as well. We have a very formidable-looking front three, and I'm hopeful that we do sign him. I think, don't forget how to score goals. If you're a natural goals, do very well in, in this team. Yeah, age to me is not a factor here. 31 years old, you can play at the top level for three more years. Heck, um, Kai Kamara banged in 14 goals um, for Colorado this past season. He's 35 years old. Like, well, it, it's not... Yeah. It, two goals, I think, in 50 games or something like that. So he's 38, so it's still... Yeah, you're correct. Uh, Zlatan's even older. Obviously, a higher quality player, but but you know he still has that knack to find the back of the net. I am not too worried about it. And, and the positive thing here with Herman Cano is there has been reports from both sides um, saying that we're in discussions. So we've heard from Oscar Pereja himself saying discussions have been going on. He did say they might take a while, but. Um, We've also heard from his agent, um, the reporter who broke the story, uh, did like a YouTube thing, and uh, he was talking about all these news stories that he's following, and he said that uh, he had spoken with uh, um, uh, Herman Cano's agent and that they were in discussions with Orlando City. Uh, so that is very, very, very exciting, and hopefully we can steal that deal because he would be on a free so he would be getting paid a lot and he would hit against our cap but i would much rather see herman cano as a tam player one million um and instead of that going to someone like sasha question who was riding the bench at the end of the season Um, i agree completely agreed and i feel like as far as attacking players go i mean we if i was looking for a striker i'd be looking at someone who, who plays a role when they're not scoring goals. And that's, because that's going to be, you know, key that when a team is not winning or they're losing, you know, you need someone who can still bring something to the team. And and I think that he's going to provide that, you know, kind of distraction for defenders. It's going to allow us to, to counter-attack a little bit better, you know, with his ability to, to get, get down the um, channels and get beyond the defenders. I think he'll be. It could be a good signing. Uh, you know, Don Dwyer looked just too static for me last season. There were some games I think he was getting four touches in a half, and that was it. And Akindeli is a, a hard worker, but he doesn't. But in my opinion, doesn't always have the technical ability to to get the ball and keep it. You know, I think Cano can just turn things around a bit. You know, and play between the channels and and help the team in that in that manner. I think he's a it looks a good signing. I mean, if, if Orlando was to get him, like I said, it'd be, it would be a big coup. And I'm, I'm surprised that there's nobody else in for him, or at least reportedly in for him. The only team that is reportedly in for him is Vasco da Gama in uh, Brazil. But um, that the reporter who, uh, in, in the same exact YouTube video, he said that um, there is an offer from them, but it's almost like 
it's it's almost like it's an IOU. They have they don't have money, so it would be a contract based on a promise. They would have to promise him that they were going to pay him. No one's going to sign that contract. Why why would you play for free basically? Um, yeah, I've, that, I've that's heard not going yeah, there's been all kinds of weird deals. I've heard of, of similar deals. I mean, you know, you don't want to say anything derogatory about anything, but there's been a lot of strange transfer deals in the past where players have been able to cancel the contracts on technicalities and go elsewhere because they've not been paid. And um, it would be very risky going over there uh, to Vasco, even though they're, they're obviously a big club. But, yeah, I think I think the appeal, you know, is at 31. It's going to be his last big contract, you would think. So he's he's going to be getting a deal with Orlando, you would think, for probably three years, you would imagine. Mm-hmm. Maybe a million a year or so. But, you know, it's going to be his last big deal. I, I'm with you on this. I think that if he's got the, the money's right with Orlando, I think he'll he'll pick Orlando over Vasco any day. And the lifestyle here, a lot of people are obviously attracted to coming to Florida and in central Florida in particular. And I believe I believe the deal is there to be done. It's just got to be a case of Orlando willing to push the boat and the player just willing to commit. Yeah, hopefully he does end up committing. Uh, next player on the list here is going to be uh, Jordi, Jordi Almeida, a uh, goalkeeper. Um, I forgot what team he's on, but um, I, actually he was he was loaned to... Um, sorry, he's on Vasco. He was loaned to a different team and then... Um, I guess Vasco don't want to keep him, but whichever league he was in, he was like the best goalkeeper in that league, but uh, Vasco had loaned him out and they don't want him anymore. So we could be kind of almost screwing over Vasco da Gama twice, um, getting one of their uh, very good goalkeepers. Um, Mm -hmm. The only thing is, is I did talk to someone and and they said that um, there was only initial interest. So the the original report was that it was a full-blown official offer. Um, the two teams have, or um, the two parties have only had conversations about it. There hasn't been an offer yet, and they weren't sure if um, an offer was going to come in. Um, so that it's still definitely on the cards. It's still possible. Um, Orlando could be going in for um, a goalkeeper of this quality, but we would just have to see. Um, have you seen anything from Jordy that you're excited about? Should he come? I am. Um... Yeah, the one thing that stood out with Jordi um, Almeida was actually um, I was looking him up and although I couldn't find too much of him playing, I found that he had five yellow cards, which was quite intriguing. I mean, how on earth does a goalkeeper get five yellow cards? So I'm thinking, you know, he must be well-versed maybe in the arts of gamesmanship, maybe a time waster or such. I'm not sure, but I thought it was quite funny and um, indicates some kind of personality that the guy might have, which... Personally speaking, when you recruit a player, I think you need some personalities. Um, so that doesn't really concern me that much. Um, he's a big guy, he's six foot three, which you know, compared to Brian Rowe, is, is quite significant for a goalkeeper. Um, it is one of the areas on the pitch where I feel that height is significant, especially when you're playing a you know a more direct team that gets more crosses into the box. You know, and Orlando at times were found lacking for physical presence in the box. It doesn't just come from your defenders, but your keeper as well. So um, those things stood out to me. Um, his playing record isn't isn't marvellous. I mean, for 26 years old, he doesn't really have a massive amount of appearances for a goalkeeper. So it remains to be seen whether he'll be an improvement. But our last recruit from Brazil, 
was Rowan, and he was a very good one by all accounts. So I would be in favour with this. I would trust Mutsi on this based off his record so far, uh, with the likes of Janssen and Pereira who have signed. I would be I'd be okay with this. Uh, certainly, you know, if he was a starting keeper and give it a go, but hopefully on a, on a loan to buy deal, and not so much on a permanent one. Yeah, I like a, I liked the point you brought up there uh, about about his height. Um, height is definitely a big deal when it comes to goalkeepers. We all know that. Um, you know, he might be slow to get down, but honestly, he looks very athletic. Obviously, these are all all these are coming from highlights that we've seen. Um, mm-hmm. Probably that we've watched the same YouTube video, but um, the, the first thing I noticed was his his tendency to come out. He came out. He he commanded his area really well. He had. Uh, strong punches um yep. decent reflexes he looked he looks a, a good enough goalkeeper to be top 10 top 15 in this league and that's something we need uh brian rowe he's bottom 10 maybe at the at the he's probably one of the better of the bottom 10 goalkeepers um yeah. but you know he's he's not lights out he was a cheap fill-in after uh the the horrible horrible season we had the year before with mm-hmm. the goalkeepers um Bendik struggling and Earl Edwards doing okay, and then Grinwis getting a appearance here and there. Um, so Brian Rowe was really just a cheap stopgap. I we're definitely looking for a goalkeeper. Um, there was that report that uh, yeah. we had an offer for another goalkeeper who went to a different team, um, and he turned us down. So we're definitely looking for a, a starting goalkeeper, which I, I love. Um, and if it is Jordi, I would be uh, Jordi Jordi. I would be absolutely over the moon with that. Um, you'd be excited with that? I would be, and you know, and, and just a, a thing for Brian Rowe. I mean, I actually was one of Rowe's supporters last season. I know he made a few high-profile mistakes, uh, but he also did have that save, which was a, you know, by all accounts, was a world-class save. He um, he's a good a good player, but he he was just a bit too timid for me. And for your defenders, your defenders have to be confident in the goalkeeper behind them. And it's good to know in the back of your mind that all right, if we do miss this cross or this play, our goalkeeper is ready to come out, be aggressive and come get that ball. And you could see at times there was like a lack of confidence between the centre-backs and the keeper. And the chemistry was just not quite there. So, I mean, I like Rowe. I think as a, as a guy, he seems a decent guy and such. And it might be a little bit harsh for him to be replaced, given that the majority of the team underperformed. But, you know, that said, if we have to be willing to improve all the key areas. The goalkeeper is a very underappreciated position for me. I believe that if you are a, a top-class goalkeeper, you've got to get them. And it starts from the back and you work your way forward. And a lot of supporters go the other way around. I think they always want to get the strikers in such... LA Galaxy is the perfect example of that. They score so many goals, but they can't keep them out. And you could argue they needed a new goalkeeper as well. So if we get that, I believe it's the best step for us. Yeah, Daniel, I really liked the point you made uh, about chemistry with defenders. Um, one thing that I do think was a positive with Brian Rowe, and and by no means was I, I don't think I, sh- I really... Um, hated Brian Rowe throughout the season. I thought he was he was good. I thought he or good enough. Um when I say stopgap, I think he was a, a good stopgap for us. He uh he came in, he he was really pivotal a lot of times in keeping us in games. He did make good one on one saves. He did make um the like a couple world class saves. Um yes the high profile mistakes are the ones that the 
um, people are going to see the most. Obviously, you look at Wayne Rooney, um, seen all over the world um, with his, his goals against us. Um, but the one thing that I think is very important with goalkeepers that I think Brian Rowe had in his locker was his communication. Um, so maybe not chemistry and the fact that his defenders trusted him, but one thing that I don't think many people realize is goalkeepers set up the back four. A, a back four is only as good as their goalkeeper and how they, how they, um, their communications. So, you know, Hey, Janssen, Sonic, back off. Mm-hmm. Sonic, hey, everybody push up, everybody come back, uh, shift left, shift right. You know, the goalkeepers are always talking. And I thought he was very good at that. And I think that's something that Greenwich struggled with. And that's probably part of the reason why he lost out in that, um, early season battle between him and Brian Rowe, or I guess preseason, not early season, but preseason battle. Because <clears throat> we didn't know if Grinvis was going to start. Everybody wanted to see Grinvis. Um, but I think he struggles in communication. So with Brian Rowe, one of his positives was definitely communication. So I'm glad you brought up that chemistry point. Um, mm-hmm. That's something I worry with with Jordi Almeida. Jordi Almeida, I, I think, I, I don't know his communication. We would have to see it firsthand. Um Hopefully, he's good at setting up a back four, and that could improve us for the future. But as a goalkeeper alone, um, I would be excited about it. Well, whoever we sign, you've got to give them the games. And a fan base will have to acknowledge, even if they won't openly admit it, but there's going to be new signings in that team that are going to need that time to gel. I don't believe last season certain players got enough time to gel. I believe that they would be given one game, and if they were not good enough in that one game, you wouldn't see them again. And with Yardi, I mean, and let's just assume for a second, his first language is not going to be English. So most likely he's going to have to learn to communicate with his defenders. It's going to take some time for them to gel. There's going to be some teething problems. But whoever we sign, whether it's Almeida or or somebody else, we, we have to give that opportunity to him. Uh, to to build that that chemistry and and that rapport, otherwise it's just another, you know, sort of a wasted time. I think that Rowe was was certainly a safe option last season. He looked like a, an O'Connor type of signing, which was someone just a bit older that you can just trust to put in to do a job. But we need better than that. We need more than players who can just do a job. And like you said, Valmaj, I was particularly impressed. You know, with his. You know, his physical characteristics for a keeper, it's almost like playing with an extra defender at the back, especially with the way the modern game's progressing. And you need them just to be able to assert themselves a little bit more and help those guys out. And and you get that all over the pitch. It's not just between the defence and the keeper. You, you always look for your midfielders and your forwards to, to cover each other and your full-backs and your midfielders to help each other. So we need more of that all over the field, which I think, you know, hopefully is going to be the theme with a lot of the signings we make. Yeah, um, and, and another very physical player that uh, mm-hmm. we'll move on to right now is Daniel Maldonado, um, the center back from Montagua, Montigua, I don't know, um, <laughs> Honduran center back. Um, unfortunately, it was reported by uh, Orlando Lions Den podcast uh, yesterday that mm-hmm. it's looking like he's not coming. Um, it's looking like sources close to the player have said that the rumors are fake and, and um, they're just rumors that it's not looking like he's going to come. And that, that kind of makes sense. Um, you know, there were rumors that he was going to be in Nashville just last week. 
MLSsoccer.com posted uh, on their website, uh, Nashville set to sign um, 21-year-old Honduran center back Daniel Maldonado. And, and then all of a sudden now they're randomly not talking to him and he's talking to us. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's a little fishy there. Um, and, and I think s- something that somebody pointed out over there uh, at Orlando Lions Den is um, he has the same agent as Herman Cano. So he could be um, just putting his name in the ring, trying to get a bigger move to a, to a European side. Um, it, it still could definitely happen. We could definitely have interest. Um, whether that turns into uh, more than a rumor, we, mm-hmm. we will see. But uh, as of right now, I'm, I, I'm erring on the side of he's not coming. But man, what a player he looks. I really wish he would be coming here. No, he looks he looks to be good. The limited um, exposure he's he's got, you know, the first to see. Unless you follow all these leagues religiously, you know, you probably wouldn't have a job or anything. All you would do is watch soccer all day and watch all these players play. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately for the, the exposure that majority of us will get, um, he does look to be a very good player. Um, he's certainly a different type of player to what we've been getting in Orlando in the past, um, as far as centre backs go. And it's an indicator again of the sort of the changing thinking we, we discussed with getting the athletic type of players in who can who are hungry. He, he fits the mould and um, I know the Lions then I, I listened to the same episode and you know they debated the height, the five foot ten and such and, and I agree with them. It's it's not gonna be a factor. Um the kid looks like he's got a lot of potential and a lot of upside. Um it also just sounds like that the agent might have been you know, causing a bit of mischief, perhaps knowing his client, his other client in Cano is in the papers and on the internet with the rumors to Orlando, he might be capitalizing on that for his other client, trying to get them interest from elsewhere. Which, you know, it's a shame. Uh, we had the same issue with Diego Ribas, I think, last winter, and in the end, all Ribas wanted was another contract at his club, and he used the Orlando interest to get it. So, it's a sad part of the game that occurs, but unfortunately, not much we can do. Uh, the player himself looked a good prospect, so like you said, fingers crossed. We might go back in for him, or we might go in for him initially. But you know, it's it's a shame that it was no nothing there. I think out of the three, I was actually probably most excited for that one for some reason. So, yeah. Oh man, I don't blame you. He looked a proper player. Um, uh, um, I, I've I've seen people say that they would want him as center defensive mid instead of center back, and just in uh, mm-hmm. uh, just he can run. He is fast. He is talk about a midfield destroyer. He would yeah. be that. Um, he really steps up into the midfield and 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 works hard. He he was basically what I think James O'Connor wanted Lamin Sane mm-hmm. to do. So you'd see a lot of times last season Lamin Sane would. St- step up um and, and that's kind of what we had we, we kind of had a stopper role and a cover role and obviously Janssen's the cover role and Sané is the stopper role who would step up and in the midfield but yeah. he was too slow he's too lanky he couldn't do it Daniel Maldonado he would have been perfect for that role but like we've been saying it's looking like it's not going to happen it's really unfortunate well that's the thing with with Sané is that he was built like a gazelle but he had the first touch of Bambi um <laughs> Um, you know, he, <laughs> oh my he was a good player. I, I liked Sonny. I mean, I grew up in England, you know, watching football in the 90s and the 2000s and, and such. And he was the typical centre-back you would, you, would, you would love in England because with that direct game back and forth in the lower divisions especially, he'd be perfect. But in the modern game as we know it now, 
as you mentioned with this with uh, Maldonado, is that he um, he just looked like he could get the ball, he could run, he could destroy. And I had him pictured for this third centre back role. Uh, and I've heard the the formation, the three five two formation, being banded around quite a bit as suitable for the Orlando squad. Um, I do see the argument for that, and I think it's valid. He would have been a perfect fit for that third centre-back role on the right, where you're looking for them to step up into midfield and, and work in tandem with the midfield and the and the right wing-back. He looked like he was, excuse me, he looked like he was custom-fit for that type of role. Playing him in a two centre-back positions, um, obviously that would depend on your opposition, because if you're going to put two strikers in at six foot four against him, then he's going to struggle. So. You know, there's, there's there's weaknesses and strengths to everybody, but he looks just to me just a good player, just somebody that you'll get and you'll play him and, you know, he'll probably leave, but he could make you a lot of money doing so. So it was, uh, hopefully there's some interest, like we said. All right, well, we're moving on from uh, Maldonado, who unfortunately looks like he won't be coming. Um, what other positions do you want to see filled? We've heard um, left back, we've heard... Uh, some people want right wing, and obviously we need more midfielders. So what, what other positions do you want us to see filled, and what are you looking for in those specific positions? Uh, for me, I mean, with the goalkeeper is a big one. We need a present a goalkeeper with presence. That's going to be one of the, the top three for me. And then I would like to see us get another starting left back. I feel that Moutinho had too many injuries last season or, or the same injury recurring and you can't rely on him as a, a week in week out player and and I also felt like his positional sense was needing work I felt like he might have been the weak link in our defence a lot of the time so I would like to see a starting left back and, and someone that does come to mind is the guy from New York I think it's Kamal Lawrence you know he'd, he'd be a good signing for us if we could if we could bring him in, but we certainly need a, oh, yeah. a good a good left back for sure. And you know, and, and I read a comment about Perea's tactics that he, he enjoys uh, using something called like a hanging wing back, which I believe is like a a wing back, but just not someone whose primary focus is attacking. So Moutinho might be good for that type of role, but only with a, a back three, of course. And then what you consider with Moutinho is that he at times struggled to get up and down that left hand side. If we'd have had Mohamed El Munir, I mean, that problem would have been resolved overnight. But we don't have him, so we need a, an El Munir type of left-back, uh, someone who can get up and down, uh, maybe who can get back and make that last-minute tackle that we need and can cross the ball and, and attack, which, you know, to be fair to Moutinho, he does know how to do that, but uh, Moutinho, for me, plays more like a midfielder and I'm not quite sure I would have picked him as a left-back. Uh, we do need a centre-back. Um, a commanding centre-back who can play with the ball. I think that's heavily important. And I don't believe we really need a, in a winger. We've we've got tons of attackers. Uh, we need one quality attacker, which would be Herman Cano. But I mean, you look at the likes of Bender and such that are going to come into the squad. You've got to be able to give them some room, you know, to have an opportunity. And we have Mueller and Michelle in my mind, who you can put on that right flank and could do well. And Nani would sit on the other, and you've got Oswey Coleman coming back as well. You just never know if he could show something. I just feel with too many options um, in that final third to have to prioritise that as a 
is an item that we need to bring in. Uh, I believe the midfield and, and the defence are probably more more crucial, in my opinion. So I would be looking overall, left-back, centre-back, goalkeeper, and definitely an extra midfielder, probably a, a box-to-box type of midfield player. I will say, uh, Josue Coman, I think he struggled when he played on the wings for us. I feel like he's more he's more better in that uh, that mm-hmm. number 10 role, um, if he is even here next season. Um, yeah. we, we still don't know the exact um, option with him. He looks like he might be coming back, but we're obviously unsure. But I, I have to agree with all of them, your statements there. Um, I will say with right wing... Um, I, we do have a ton of options. Um, some people see Benji as a backup striker, uh, especially after mm-hmm. his uh, amazing game in Chicago, or not in, but in Orlando against Chicago and the last game of the season. But also he was a striker growing up. Um, yeah. But one thing to think about is so was Chris Mueller, and he just is not good enough in the, the mid in the uh, the number nine position. He's I don't think he's strong enough to with the the ball um, with his back to goal. I think he really thrives at running at defenders. Um, so I I feel like Benji. A lot of people think Benji is a striker, and then therefore mm-hmm. want to see someone brought in above Chris Mueller. I think that would be what most people are asking for on the wing. I think Benji um, can thrive on the right wing. I think that's his best way of getting into this team, yeah. um, especially if we keep Dwyer. Then we would have two players ahead of him in the pecking order as a striker. He may not like it, um, especially if he wants to play striker, because he, mm-hmm. he did show a lot of promise up front. Um, but but I think his best position is, or not his best position, but his best way of getting into this team is getting shoved out on the wing, because then he's only competing with Tesho Akindele, um, who's shoved out there um but uh Tesh, oh, not Tesh, um oscar Pereja did use him on the wing um when he was in dallas so a lot of people see tesho as kind of like a um a pseudo number nine just on the right wing um mm-hmm. which is what he played for us last season and then his other competition benji's is uh chris mueller um who people are starting to fall out of love with after his uh, horrible end of season form so i i I have to agree with all your statements. Um, that was just a kind of explanation of why people wanted um, the right wing spot. I I I, I understand that uh, the the argument, and I I agree to an extent. I think a lot of us in an ideal world would love to see Mueller uh, given another run and and to come into form and play himself into the position. Uh, the thing with Mueller, and this comes back to the coaching last season. You know, coaching is a lot more than just picking 11 players to, to win every game, you know, to try and win every game. You know, it's about what they do individually with the players when they're not at the games. And I feel that Mueller just did not maybe get the coaching he needed. He, maybe, no, maybe nobody sat down with him enough and pointed out to him, you know, this is what you need to do better or this is what you've done well. And a lot of our young players in Orlando just haven't flourished. I don't believe we've had a coach that's really sat down with those players and, and focused on it. And it's like we discussed the whole Dylan Powers argument earlier. You know, they've they've favoured just putting in a player with moderate experience because they can do a job versus putting a younger player in that can play through a bad patch of form or learn from the mistakes and get better. And, and again, it comes down to that same, to that same argument for me. Um, you've got to give these guys time to play themselves out of form or into form, so to speak. And I understand the argument for the right wing, but 
you know, in this modern game again, how many teams play with actual wingers nowadays? You know, they might line up 4 3 3, but it doesn't mean that the left and the right forwards are wingers. You know, one could be a playmaker, one can be a an inside forward, the other one could be a, a rounder, which is a, you know, what you call a space investigator. The uh, Bayern Munich uh, made that position famous with Thomas Muller. Right. Um, you know, and that's where I see someone like Michelle coming in, is that he can make those incisive runs and get into those goal scoring positions. Um, and another point I'd like to elaborate that you brought up, um, you mentioned Dom Dwyer very briefly. Uh, with a Dom Dwyer-sized problem in our squad still, it's going to be tough for Michel to see any minutes because he's not going to get ahead of Dwyer in the ultimate packing order, I believe. Not while we're paying Dwyer one and a half million a year. So, I don't know, it depends on on the, on the movement in that third as well. But yeah, I can see the argument for, for, for Mueller, Mueller being, uh, being kept in that role or replaced. But I personally just don't see the need to do it. All right. Well, that that just about wraps up all the the, the, the um, player talk. Um, mm-hmm. Now we can kind of just you know finish off with some news here. Um, sure. uh, we we had some former players. They uh, they had some of their new locations announced. So Clustion was announced on Monday, I believe, or maybe it was Tuesday. He's going to be at LA Galaxy. Um, and I'm going to get your thoughts on that in a second. Um, Greg Ranjit Singh. He is in Minnesota now. Um, Higita, he is rumored to be going to Junior de Barranquilla in Colombia, I believe. And then Acosta um, is headed off to LA Galaxy as well. Um, the one thing I wanted to ask about was Sasha question, um, is that Kamal Miller was on the MLS UK show and he did an interview with um, the the hosts there, um, Elliot and um, Henry. And um, he, he they asked him, who who is... Who are they? Who is he going to miss most out of all the players leaving? And he immediately said Sasha Question. Um, do you think losing him will be uh, uh, hurtful to the squad? I'm one of the minority that actually quite rated Sasha Question. I've always felt that soccer is played a lot in your mind, as well as you know with your legs and physically. And he did show at times a glimpse of the ability to pick out a pass. And if you watch him closely, he was always looking up the trait of a very good footballer. He always knew how to look up and pick a pass. He always seemed to be aware of where his teammates were. Um, I think the salary that he was on put him up against the wall, I think, in a lot of fans' minds from day one. And he was in bad credit with quite a lot of our supporters, you know, for a lot of his stay in Orlando. You know, I sympathise with him, but then I don't because he got a very good contract which wasn't his fault. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's negotiated by the front office and everything else. So I, I don't feel like he was ever in an environment to succeed, personally. And LA might well benefit from that if they go with their continued system. They play a 4-3-3, I believe. And I think he can play very well in a 4-3-3 if he's not being asked to do the job of a, a number six or as a box-to-box player, which I think he was being asked to do sometimes for us. I think he's a good player. At a million a year, we should not be keeping him for that. I completely agree. But I would have kept him for maybe four or 500,000 or so. But I, just, I just think he's a decent player and he's got a pedigree. He's, aside from Nani, he's, he was the most decorated player in our squad last season with his experiences over in Anderlechtin with the New York Red Bulls. So I like him. I think it speaks volumes that a lot of players seem to like him. You know, but ultimately speaking, he's... Uh, He's gone elsewhere, so I wish him the best. 
you know, but like I say, Alan had to make some tough decisions and cutting a million dollar salary for a player that's on the bench is a very sensible decision. It's probably the right one, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's the right decision. Um, yeah, it, it was it was the salary though. I think we would have kept him if we could have brought him down to mm-hmm. four hundred, five hundred, like you said, because um, because he is experienced. Um, and I think he still serves a role for us. Um, I yeah. do like that you, or he still could have served a role for us. But I do like that you brought up um, his the environment he came into. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we were uh, not that good of a team. Uh, we were bringing in a bunch of MLS players left, right, and center who we thought were going to be really good. Um, Justin Miram, him, um, a couple others, I believe. And, um, you know, he comes in with a big salary. And I think the fans expected different. Um, he, he had the tag of being um, the most, most assists um, in a single season mm-hmm. in MLS history. Um, so they were expecting a number 10, kind of like a, almost like a Mesut Ozil or a Kevin De Bruyne, um, number 10. Um, and he was just going to be playing assists left, right, and center. He, he's, he's more deeper. We've been playing him as a number mm-hmm. 10. He is more of a number 8. Um, and I don't think people saw him as that because they didn't see him as very mobile. Uh, we played him as a number 10 um, in Jason Crisis system. Never really worked. He got a couple assists, a couple goals. You know, he was he was good, but he wasn't good enough in the fans' eyes. So I do like the point where um, he just didn't have the environment to succeed. Um, and I do think he will go on to succeed for the next year or two in LA Galaxy. I think he'll be a very good role player over there. Um, I agree. I think he, um, you know, he, he has quality. It's shown. I mean, and you never want to, you never want to listen to another viewpoint and, and be patronising and such. But I do feel that sometimes when the, when a judgment is made on a player, it's not always made from the perspective of um, what do you say, like a, like from a like a football brain, like a, you know, you have to look at what a player can can bring to a team and not just look at the salary and just immediately judge someone. Um, Lions then said it perfectly. The big salary does not mean you're a great player. Right. And it doesn't mean the other way either. You can have a fantastic player like Akindeli for us last season who was hitting double digits with goals and was on a pretty low salary. So, I mean, it's it's very fluid. I mean, the environment to succeed is, is what's, what's important. And for me, if I was lining up the squad now, and I have a Sasha question, and you know, and I could have kept him on a lower deal. He could have fit, fit a role in like a maybe a four-two-three-one in double pivot role next to a ball winner, where he's not having to run so much, and he can get on the ball and, and pass it around a bit. You know, there's there's a role for players like that, um, but you know, it's always about opinions at the end of the day. And I have my opinion. Doesn't mean it's it's universally right. Doesn't mean another fans is universally wrong or right either. You know. In the context of, um, you know, of, of the salary caps and the way this league is structured, if Orlando is busting twenty percent of its cap on one player that's not playing, then of course they have to go, and that's just unfortunate. But it is what it is. Yeah, and I like the um, the point you made about um, the salary does not mean mm-hmm. that's that's that good of a player. Um, I think that played a part in Don Dwyer's salary. He brought in a lot of marketing dollars um, to the team. Um, obviously, a lot of hype from his time with us at USL, but also he was a very marketable player. And he is still um, the face of this franchise. We have Nani here, and right now the 
commercials are all about are all have him in it. I don't know if that'll switch next season. Um, him, but him and um, his wife Sydney are all over um, the commercials about Orlando City. So, well, I was um, doing my. I was doing my Christmas shopping and I was thinking, you know, what type of moisturizer or lotion can I buy as a Christmas mm-hmm. gift? Oh, let me go watch a LaRue and Dwyer commercial. They'll be using one. I'll go on the Instagram <laughs> and see what, what they're marketing this time and I'll buy that. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. It's particularly, you know, in the States, it's a very American thing to do to, to have your players kind of commercializing themselves like that. So I, I understand some of the reasons why Orlando got in, but, you know, I mean, we can't apply the the overpaid argument to such a question and then ignore it as some supporters do with Dom Dwyer. I mean, we talk about Brian Rose's high-profile mistakes last season. What about Dom Dwyer's high-profile misses? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, that changes the context of a game, like when you're in Atlanta and you miss from six yards out and you get that goal. I mean, you score that goal, it's a different game. Then we end, we lose 1-0. We we can debate these things back and forth all day long, but ultimately, you know, again, we're, we're looking at a salary cap league with players that are performing or not performing, and you know, whatever argument I've seen, some fans will berate such a question for what he was making, but then they'll defend on Dwyer till till the you know, till the very end. So yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a funny dynamic, you know. It's uh, you know. We'll see, we'll see. But I would like Orlando to just sign players based on what they can bring to the team versus what they can do marketing-wise. And hopefully that'll be a trend that they follow going forward. Yeah. Um, and moving on to another bit of news. Um, posted a couple of days ago on Twitter by um, the, the main account, basically, for All News Flamengo, um, the Copa Libertadores winners, Um is that we've offered them to come train here for preseason. They have to leave. Um, they cannot train in their stadium or their training grounds or whatever because um, there's stuff going on. Uh, the, uh, in the off-season, they always have to leave because um, a bunch of like concerts and, and off-the-field off activities happen a lot in their training grounds, I guess. So we have offered them to come and train in our grounds for their preseason and then they would play a friendly with us after um, they're, they're done. After they're done training, uh, I, for one, am all for this. Um, I, I think it would bring in a lot of fans uh, to come see the the best South American team uh, come in and and or uh, is Copa Libertadores is all of South America, right? That's right. Yeah. So the, the best South American team come in and play against Orlando. Uh, that would put butts and seats that would get some revenue in for the team. Uh, I am all for that. And then the final bit of news here uh, is um, U.S. Open Cup. Uh, we were in the bottom half of the, ta- the table uh, in total last season, so we have to play an extra game in the U.S. Open Cup. So instead of starting off in the round of 32 um, against a team, uh, we played Memphis, I believe, we now have to start off um around lower um so we'd be playing possibly even a worse team um and that's just an extra game uh i am okay with it i I don't know it's it's very back and forth because those are the type of games that get minutes for players like loria Mm -hmm. and um bender and, and you love to see those players get minutes but then it's like well what happens if we have to put 
for some reason we have to put um, Robin Janssen in that game because we have no other center backs fit. And then all of a sudden he gets injured. So I'm not overly excited about it, but it does provide the platform for some players to get minutes that they might not get elsewhere. So it's iffy for me. Any thoughts on those last two uh, bits of news, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, the Flamengo game, I think, is a brilliant idea. I'm all for it. I believe that I looked at the pre-seasons we've run for the last couple of years. I mean, they they run most of the games behind closed doors. But when they did the Invitational, I felt that was a really good move. When they had the two games within a few days, because there was a very high level of performance by both Mm -hmm. sides um, when Orlando played. I went to the New York game and it was an extremely competitive game. And the players were working hard for that result. And I believe that benefits them more than, you know, than playing like, you know, Jacksonville High School or whatever, um, <laughs> you know, and trying to beat them 18-0. That does no, that serves no purpose at all. I mean, you're better off playing a team that can beat you rather than a team that you can easily beat. You know, so I'm all for it. I mean, the more competitive games they are, I mean, we could play Flamengo and lose 4-0, but it's a great experience for the, for the players to play against a good standard of team. And for the coach, he will be able to see where his team is, is defective and he'll be able to make the tactical changes needed. And I've seen yes. teams in the past go on a completely horrible pre-season where they'll lose like six games and score like maybe two goals. And then they get into their regular season and all of a sudden they're just running like a well-oiled machine because all the kinks have been found and they correct it in training. It, it comes down again to training. It comes down to preparation. And playing a competitive game like that is, is only a good thing, in my opinion. As for the Open Cup, um, I'm in agreement that it's um, it's good for, for players to get minutes. But again, if we're going to be going off to Utah or somewhere to play a you know a team that's... I mean, it's hard to classify them because the, the leagues are not really classified in divisions after USL that much. But if we're playing a team that, you know, we're expected to be widely and you're going to travel far away to do it in the midweek between two MLS games, it's it's a bit of an inconvenience. So I would only favour it if the coach pops to send a second string team out there and not risk the first team players. That's the only way it can be any good to us because I'm all for opportunities to get the guys minutes, but we could also use OCB for that as well. The club could send players to OCB if they need a game and that will fulfil that purpose. So... I mean, if the, if the game is relatively local, like against another Floridian team or maybe a team out of Georgia or, or Tennessee, if somewhere relatively close, then it's it's fine. But if you're going to have to go really far away to play somebody, it's kind of pointless to me. Yeah, I do believe the U.S. Open Cup does kind of make it to where in those initial rounds, everybody plays everybody in a sort of almost like a conference, uh, the Southeastern Conference, a Western, uh, a Northwestern Conference, something like that. So that's, that is a positive. Um, we won't have to travel too far. You know, we played Memphis over up in Tennessee. Um, they were in our conference and we went against them. Atlanta, I think, played against Charleston. So that's right. You know, um, so that is a positive. And I do want to say, you took the words right out of my mouth about the Flamengo thing. Um, if we're playing a team that's better than us and they smack us four or five nil, that's going to show us our deficiencies. That's going to show Oscar Pereja what he needs to work on in these players, what works, what doesn't work. That is, hopefully this game happens because they probably will smack us 5-0 and we will learn, okay, we cannot defend wide to save our lives. Or, hey, when player when they're passing the ball through us, we cannot stop that. Um, so that will 
that will let um, Pereja see what he needs to work on, and then he'll be able to move the coaching staff uh, or work with his coaching staff to um, work on those deficiencies with the players. Yeah, I mean, we, we had a you know like a f- some fairly good performances in the invitational you know games we played and such, but then when it carried over into the into the full season, we we didn't look too strong. I mean, we did kind of at the beginning, but over the season we just fell away as we usually do, and. It just comes down in your mind to preparation. Maybe the recruitment wasn't quite right. Maybe they just didn't have the right level of pre-season and such just to really test the players. And, yeah, uh, hopefully Flamengo could be the first. I mean, there's there's other teams when you know, they're on the off-season in Europe. There's no reason why we can't get a, a European team over here in, in the middle of July on pre-season. Um, Derby County from the Championship were playing over in um, Sarasota. And I think Bristol City were, and there was a few other sort of good teams that were coming over here and playing. Why not get them into Orlando for a game? It would just be a good experience for, you know, for the club and and such to build those links and to test their players. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that will wrap it up for us, um, guys, our listeners. If 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 um, please uh, leave a review. Um, on Apple Podcasts. That's probably the easiest place to leave a review. Um, we would really appreciate that. Uh, thank you for listening. We, we appreciate that as well. Um, Daniel, where can they find you? I can't be found too easily. I can be found on Instagram um, under ellenroder82. Uh, that's just my social media outlet right now. I might well create another handle on Twitter at some point. So if I do, I'll let you know what it is. All right. Well, um, thank you for coming on, Daniel. And uh, make sure you follow him on Instagram. Also, guys, uh, please, 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 uh, if you haven't already, check out the blog. Every single night I've been posting a, uh, a daily update, uh, just a recap of everything that's been going on throughout the day. I'll type out a paragraph about my thoughts on everything. If you guys like are, in, are into that sort of thing, I post about it every day on Twitter. Um, I, I do it periodically on Instagram if it's a big news day. So like when Herman Cano came out, when I had these source tell me about uh, Jordi Almeida, I'll post it on Instagram, but mostly I try and stick to Twitter because that's the easiest. You can just click on the link there. Um, so if you haven't been checking it out, checking it out. I get 10 to 20 views a day. Um, I really appreciate it. those of you who are checking it out. If you haven't been, head over to the blog, um, oclinesblog.com. And again, follow Daniel on Instagram. Um, thanks a million, Daniel, for coming on. No, thank you. It's been been great. Thanks very much. Yeah, until next time. <laughs>